He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I'm Anthony Irwin. It's still weird to say that. Uh, I am joined today. I'm stoked for this one. Uh, Miran Fader of The Ringer of the of her own book. She wrote a book, uh, which is incredible. I'm really excited about this. We've had this in the works for a little while. Thank you very much for, for joining me, Miran. And, and uh, how are you doing? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so hyped to be here with you. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I, I feel like we're in this weird period where everything is starting to seem normal, but we know it's not. Um, so I, yeah. I, feel, I feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's still, I, I catch myself. I walk into a market and I don't put on my mask. And I've done, I've done the double take where I'm like halfway there. I'm like, do, do I? Uh, right. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're walking around, you see people with them. It's, we are in that, in that weird spot. I'm going to try to make this less weird though. I want to start here. Um, so you write this book, you wrote Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP, which by the way, you guys can pre-order everywhere that you get your books. Um, I've already pre-ordered mine. So, so I'm, I'm excited to read this. I want you to, I want you to ask this though. So you write the Giannis book. How many teams have reached out to you because you've literally wrote, written the book on Giannis? NBA teams asking, like, how do we stop this guy? What do we do here? <laughs> have, you been, have you been contacted? No, but I wish they would because I'm trying to write book number two. But, um, yeah, no, he, I think he's still such an enigma. I think nobody really knows what to call him, what to do with him how to make sense of his game at this point, how to stop him. He just remains this eternal enigma. It's so weird. It's funny. He's, he's difficult to guard, obviously. He's one of the most dominant forces in the NBA. But he's also kind of tricky to employ. At, at, you know, he's in, in a playoff setting, especially where defenses have up to seven games to fully figure out your game and all of that. And some of his shortcomings have, have come to the, the, to the forefront here, whether it's the free throw shooting, the lack of a jumper, whatever. But then the other parts of his game that we thought were at this level have been notched up to level 15. So that's what I, I, that's what I love the most about playoff basketball. From your perspective, though, having written this book and having spent that type of time around him, like how are you watching these playoffs? Do you find yourself like, you know, really rooting for Giannis on a personal level, or is it, or is it just like, no, I, I wrote the book. Here we are. Well, I'm like bucks. You need to get it together because I'm trying to sell some books. So, you know, when they when they have these down stretches of uninspiring play, I'm just sitting there fuming, and I'm like, yeah. what is happening to me? Because you know, we no cheering in the press box. You know, we're not supposed to do uh -huh. that. So this is a new experience for me, feeling invested in something. So I have to admit, like, I really do want the Bucks to win. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just so weird because, I don't know, I just keep coming back to that play where Trae Young was guarding Giannis and he, like, Giannis tries to body him, but he ends up doing this, like, weird fadeaway thing. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that is such a microcosm for like where he's at and how frustrating it is to watch him, but how tantalizing it is to watch him because you see how incredible he is and you just want him to go to the basket every single time. So I'm just sitting there like I imagine every other human in America is saying like, go to the basket. (laughs) How do you think the the big, the big talk right now is about his free throws, right? It's the counting that's going on while he's shooting these free throws. How, how do you think he's receiving that? Because a running theory, a pervasive theory that I think I kind of buy into is that it's helping him with his rhythm. Like the more that they count, I, at some point, the Hawks fans, I think, need to switch up the rhythm. So like count really fast one time, count super slow another time, count for a different teammate another time, and just kind of throw him off his, off his game. But like free throws are so interesting because to a certain extent, they're just mental. You've shot all of these guys have shot thousands and thousands, millions even of free throws over the course of their life. He steps to the free throw line. It's all him. How do you think he's handling the amount of scrutiny that just his literal process of shooting free throws has received? I mean, it's weird because although, of course, like you said, it's mental, I don't, I think it's more physical. I think Mm. that his form has changed so much since rookie year where it was not bad rookie year. You know, mm-hmm. he launched a ton of threes. Um, and then there's the Jason Kidd era where, you know, there's points in the book where I talk about like Jason Kidd would bench him for shooting. And so like you have a couple seasons where you're like going to get in trouble if you shoot. And so, yeah, you're not going to be confident. You're not going to have the reps. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think like if you watch Giannis, he gets tired very easily. Like he gets gassed. And I think mm-hmm. that is so hard to shoot free throws when you're gassed all so, yeah. so I think there's a variety of like physical things happening that make it difficult. But um, as far as the mental stuff, Giannis is really one of those athletes where when they say it doesn't bother them, I believe them, mm. you know, because I think that's cliche when a lot of athletes say, yeah. I don't care what people think. I'm not bothered by this. And you know, they are. Um, Paul George. We're yeah. All, we're, all, we're all thinking it. <laughs> right. Like it yeah. genuinely does not throw him off when he airballs. It's just, it's not as embarrassing. Like there's no ego. Like one of my favorite quotes in the book was um, interviewing Jared Dudley and Jared Dudley was like, what I, cause they were former teammates. And he was like, Jared was like, what I love about Giannis is that you can dunk on him. It literally does not embarrass him. Like yeah. he, he has no ego. You can tell he did not grow up in America. So I would apply the same thing to the free throws. Of course, he doesn't like missing. It frustrates him, but I don't think it embarrasses him in the way that people think the counting thing embarrasses him. He had that quote, the tweet went kind of viral where he was said that I've airballed two free right. throws and, and, and I've been on that stage and you just got to shoot the next one basically. And, and yeah, like that's, this is something that really endears me to Giannis in that he's perfectly fine putting out there that he has his own faults. He said after the game that, you know, he can be the guy for 45 minutes and the final three minutes of the game can be Chris Middleton's time. Like, that's not the kind of thing that in this like hyper-masculine arena that your stars normally say. So that had to like for you who who writes that book about like, that's the perfect subject. Somebody who is that willing to just say that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. The word that I think of when I think of Giannis is vulnerable. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a, yeah. a strange 
like that vulnerability is what makes him so mentally tough and also so um, coachable and so moldable and endearing. And it's funny when you were just um, saying what you said, it reminded me of so many anecdotes from childhood where his childhood teammates and coaches would tell me that he'd cry all the time openly. Mm. Um, and that that is a big section of the early part of the book. And it came to the NBA. He would get to the, um, like his rookie year in Milwaukee, like the strength coach, Robert Hackett had to tell him like, look, you, you can't cry in public. But he's so earnest and so upset with himself when he doesn't do well, mm-hmm. disappointed in himself, takes responsibility that that vulnerability was always there. So that's why when I saw that viral clip that happened, I'm like, yeah, that's so him. You yeah, know? that's Giannis. That's Giannis. It, it is what you think. He is what you think he is. You know, that's that's great. I mean, in in this, you know, in pro sports, there's brands, there's brand engineers, there's brand tacticians. There's I come from a PR background and uh, I've had plenty of experience with people who you see them say something you're like, no. <laughs> you were you were coached to say that but I never feel that way about Giannis it's 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 really fascinating with him no and in fact like early on in his career especially uh, I would say around the 2016 17 mark when he started to get you know really good he would always say to Bucks PR like why are all these people waiting for me like the reporters why <laughs> why do they want to talk to me you know like genuinely like right. what what makes me special you yeah. know like why, why do they want me? It's and I not think, that you're a seven yeah. two pterodactyl who can dunk from the free throw line on, on <laughs> it has nothing to do with that at all. Giannis. <laughs> right. Like he, he just doesn't have that. There was, there was a great quote that I included from the book. I believe it was from Matt Velasquez's reporting. You'll have to check. It was from the Milwaukee journal Sentinel, but Giannis said something like people say, I can't be the face of the league because I don't have that swagger. I don't have that, you know, American bravado or something mm-hmm. like that. But he said, if I can't be the face of the league being myself, then I don't want to be the face of the league. Mm-hmm. And so I think he, He's always had that resolve like this is who I am I'm not going to change myself even his brothers make fun of the fact that he's the only one of them that still has his Greek accent you know the rest of them don't really mm-hmm. have it anymore and um, he's like no I'm not going to change this is me so I think the vulnerability that we're talking about the humility the willingness to recognize your flaws and imperfections it's just it makes him a different type of modern NBA superstar we've never seen somebody who is this quiet and hardworking and humble as him. And I think that that almost bothers people. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. I mean, there's expectations, especially in the NBA. It was, it was the way Michael carried himself. And then Kobe comes along and he was basically (laughs) impersonating Michael for large portions of his career. And then by the end, like what I actually found really interesting was at the end of Kobe's career, he started to open up and I kind of wonder if, like if Kobe just lasts a few years longer and he, and he extends that phase of his career a little bit more where he does show, I, I remember he tore his Achilles and he was crying on national television. And I remember saying like, this is actually kind of a big moment because this is somebody who, you know, mama mentality has become synonymous with, with, you know, <laughs> the most bravado that you can actually hold. And yet there he was like it, Kobe, still in his uniform, holding himself with his crutches. And that's what he, and, and, and giving way potentially to a Giannis who is that without, 
needing to be at the low point of his career. That's just how Giannis is. And I think that's so, that's so interesting about Giannis. It also might, however, potentially explain the relationship that he's had with coaches where with kid, kid tells him not to shoot. He doesn't shoot. It might have uh, put the clamps on, on that development in his career. Coach Bud is linking a lot of his minutes to Brooke Lopez, who isn't necessarily the best fit, the most natural fit for the way that playoff basketball is played nowadays. And there is some pressure coming from uh, the Bucks fans that I follow on there. Like, Hey, maybe just, maybe just ask Bud, Hey, can I just, can I play a little bit more without Brooke Lopez? And, and I think all of this kind of entwines into an explanation for the way that this is, is kind of going. Do you see though, over the course of his career, him assuming more of that kind of that kind of responsibility, that kind of empowerment within whatever organization or whatever coach he plays for? Yeah, it's a fascinating question because I know that's been a weakness of his throughout his career. You know, when Jason Kidd um, took over, the biggest thing Jason wanted from Giannis was to open his mouth, like actually speak. Mm-hmm. Giannis hated speaking up. He was yeah. like, I don't understand why I have to, I have to lead vocally. I lead by example. I lead by work ethic. Why do mm-hmm. I have to say anything? And Jason would put him in these totally uncomfortable situations in the film room where he would make Giannis utter, like, I want this. I need this. Uh, I am, I am this good. I'm the best player. And that was like deeply uncomfortable. Giannis mm. was Giannis was the kid in the class who's like, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on yeah. me. Like, <laughs> me. I was taking my nap back right. there. I'm like, please do not. Like, <laughs> the do love not. of God, do not call on me, right? Yeah. So, so he has really made so much strides. But I think it was um, Malcolm Brogdon. I had a really nice interview with him. And he told me, like, it's not that Giannis, like, is not friendly. It's just, like, he's not going to speak up and and say it. And, it, and he's mm-hmm. really, he's come a long way in that. But it's a process. And so you're seeing, you're seeing more and more of that. He's not, maybe not at that point where, like you said, Oh, bud, can we do, you know, do this? But again, he wasn't raised in America. So so these kids on the AU circuit, like there's some of them are so entitled and they think that they can just do whatever they want and say whatever they want. Like Giannis comes from a system where whatever the coach says goes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just think he can't. And And it also, by the way, got him to hear. Like right. he's been rewarded for abiding that culture. And, and he is now where he is now, where he is an MVP, two, two-time MVP, might win a championship this year, might have a finals MVP, might have one of the most impressive resumes a 26-year-old basketball player has ever had. Right. And I think I'm not going to say getting MVP was the worst thing to ever happen to him because that's absurd. But what I mean by that is that it created a pressure on him to be perfect mm-hmm. and if he never got named MVP, there would be no haters. There would just, he would just have remained the adorable, endearing, wonderful, you know, quote unquote kid that mm-hmm. has boundless potential. But I think it put a bullseye on him when he got named MVP because they're like, oh, but look at all these weaknesses. Oh, but da, 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 da. So mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's just created um, a target on him and, negativity that just really wasn't there early on yeah i mean that's one of the bummers about award culture right is you have all these fans i mean i know lakers fans are are upset still upset about the defensive player of the year award that he got over anthony davis and 
anytime he falls short of it, Lakers fans, myself included, I'll fire those tweets off there and, and we'll say like, Oh, there, there's your MVP. You know, the, the, the Michael B Jordan meme, like that's your King. And, <laughs> and, and like, that's, that's where, that's where Giannis, I could see that kind of, kind of wearing on him. Like I, I didn't do anything. I didn't give myself the award. I just went out there and played basketball and they saw me as valuable in this, 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 and this way. And I, I do you think, how do you think he handles that extra scrutiny? Do you think it's something that he carries as a burden or do you think it's something that might actually light the fire that is necessary to continue that process of potentially pushing a coach here or, or making a demand here that makes the game easier for him? Because that's the thing. The, the fans who want these things of various athletes, Anthony Davis playing the five, Draymond Green shooting more, uh, Giannis playing more of the five or whatever it is, it's 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 coming from a place where we just want to see the game easier for you so you can be the best version of yourself. But that's not it's not always it's never that simple. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it like the negativity is a burden for him or bothers him because he really doesn't care. But oh, yeah, like you saw the way he came back after everyone was just slandering him. I mean, I've never mm-hmm. seen that type of you know, Giannis is the worst player ever. He's has no bag, la la la. You know, I was just reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, how quickly have things changed, you know? But, um, and then the no bag back- tweets were funny though. Like the, like yeah. you're, <laughs> the lady <laughs> holding up like the mini purse, like that stuff was hilarious. I, on a sidebar, I don't know how people are so funny and so creative and so clever. I just, it happens so fast. As soon as you're cracking up on one tweet and then there's like a thousand more funny ones. I can't keep track. I I think people are so smart, but (laughs) I definitely think that, you know, he doesn't care what people think. Like I said, like he's not, it doesn't affect him, but he will be the first person to say, I screwed up. Mm. I'm not good enough. I don't do this well. I need to do this better. Like he's insanely hard on himself. Um, So I think Giannis is in this weird position because if he was egotistical and he was saying things off the cusp and not being professional and, you know, saying like, uh, I don't know, just think of the opposite of him. He would catch so much flack for that. So I think you just kind of can't win if you're humble and you admit fault they're mad at you if you are egotistical and you resist when people say you need to improve on this. You, that's also a problem. So um, may as well just know. be himself. Like, and I think he is. I yeah. think he really when he says, "I love Chris Middleton," I'm going to give him the ball. He means that when he says Kevin Durant is the best in the world, that is straight from the heart. He mm-hmm. means that. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have confidence in himself. It just means that's what he thinks. That's he's telling the truth. Do you want him to declare he's the best when he's playing awful? No. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. I, I come from more of the undersell yourself and overachieve that. Like that's, yeah. that's, you know, I set a nice low bar and I just kind of waddle over it. That's, that's the way that I, I go about my business. So Can you not, I appreciate can it. You not, you're listening. I appreciate it. No, no, you're, you're great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So one more time though, that's, uh, Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP, which you guys can all uh, pre-order now. And uh, it comes out, I believe, in August, right? That's when that's when the, the book actually comes. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We are going to segue, however, over to Andre Drummond, which uh, to take you guys behind the curtain, you wrote a fantastic. It was a very, very good profile of Andre Drummond on The Ringer. This was 
at, however, the peak of him being scapegoated for the Lakers falling short of expectations. Um, so it was, it was, it was slightly awkward. I would imagine for you to, to go through that and interview somebody who uh, is similarly, by the way, he, he does come off from that profile as very introspective, very candid, uh, a, a, an incredibly thoughtful human being. And so much so that like Phil Handy said, like, no, you, you had to be meaner. You, you have to, you have to stop being the, uh, the teddy bear, be the grizzly bear. Right. And, and that was the thing that I found the most interesting from that piece was can an athlete actually be too nice? And, and it seems in some cases here with Drummond, that might actually be the case. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I agree with your assessment. You can be too nice, but I think his comes from a deeper sense of feeling worthy or not. Like, mm -hmm. I think the context for him matters so much. Imagine you're really great at one thing. You're a great rebounder. You're mm -hmm. one of the best of all time. Suddenly the game changes and that's not valued anymore. And suddenly nobody wants you anymore. And so your confidence right. is not what it was and your opportunities are not what it was. And so you're like trying to adapt, but you also want to remain yourself. So he was kind of in this basketball limbo and your word thoughtful is so true. And, and I would also add vulnerable, just like Giannis, mm -hmm. I think he faced his basketball mortality. And so when you come to a place like the Lakers, where they're saying you need to get meaner, you need to understand how big you are. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just such a new experience to feel wanted, to feel worthy, to feel included. Yeah. He hasn't to not be in Detroit. <laughs> to not be in Detroit, to not be in, yeah. you know, on the bench in Cleveland. And I just think, you know, when somebody says, I need you to be meaner, that, that to me is fascinating for somebody that's almost a decade into the league, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, he goes from, he was drafted ninth back in 2012. And at that time, I really liked him coming out of college. He was, he looked to me like where, basketball was heading at that position unfortunately for centers and he's not alone we saw it with Dwight Howard we might eventually see it with DeAndre Ayton uh where where there are things that make centers valuable and they do those things really really well and they try to expand their games but in trying to do so become somewhat less valuable because you want the post isolation touches you want to try to accept double teams and making passes out of them and that's not something that every every center is equipped to do and so he's watched this evolution of the sport. He was, he was somebody who in 1990, we'd be talking about potential hall of famer. Like if he was drafted uh, 10 years earlier, you're talking about a, somebody who the sport would see very differently. How do you think he handles that evolution? Just watching it as the game kind of sort of passes him by. So one of the reasons why I started the story with him being in the gym, trying to shoot three pointers, yes. saying to himself, this is crazy. Like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. But I got to stay current. I got to stay with these trends. Those thoughts would just reoccur to him and reoccur to him. So I wanted to start with that because I think people think that Andre didn't try. There's this rap on him that is like, oh, he's lazy. He doesn't work hard. He doesn't care. He didn't try to adapt. How can you be in the league 10 years and not move with the trends? He sincerely did try. And I wanted to open the story with that, that anecdote because imagine like shooting a million threes during the summer, 
you know, feeling really good about how you're adapting and okay, this feels so freaking weird. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm a fish out of water, but this is what I got to do. So I'm going to do it. He goes to the season. He attempts like less than 10 thinks the whole thing is, you know, now stupid and not worth it. He tried to change and they still don't want him. So it's, it was this very frustrating thing of like, well, I'm trying to adapt, you know, but not in the right situation. And so, yeah, I just think it, it was hard for him because he wanted to be valuable to a team because he genuinely does want to win, but it just didn't work. The three, yeah. it's, not, it's not him. Do you think it seems like misinformation because there are ways for him to be valuable without shooting threes. Like if he just, if he just focuses on being a rim protector and running the court and dunking whenever he touches the ball, like that's, that's also an analytically approved way for bigs to grow within the game. It's just kind of boring. Like it becomes monotonous. And that's, that's something I can actually really understand from his perspective and all of these bigs perspective where, yeah, I'm really good at this one thing, but and it'd be kind of nice to go out and try that. How do you think Biggs and, and him specifically, how do you think he handles that balance there? Yeah, I mean, that's why he was so excited to join the Lakers because it was a chance to say, this is what I can bring. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. I don't need to change myself. If you want me to rebound and run the floor hard and make good decisions, I got you. And I think like, obviously we saw ups and downs with that, but genuinely like the Lakers had him playing the role that I think is his best shot at, being productive in the league mm -hmm. that is the whatever he was going to do for them or did for them that is at his best that is the situation he would need yeah. um but I think it, it goes back to Giannis I mean look like he's been miscast his entire career as a perimeter guy like he should never have been compared to Kevin Durant you know mm -hmm. he is a five guy and it, it's interesting you think of the conversation with you know AD and all these things and I I just think that like Giannis should be in the paint you know he yeah. should not have to like I don't want him shooting threes no he should just not shoot threes or I don't at least be the roller in a pick and roll yeah. or something like right. that where, something the, like where that. the game is like you know it's coming to him more than he's being asked to create everything every aspect of a set exactly and that's why I think that with Drummond like you just need a system where they understand your strengths and they can cater to that and you don't have to go outside of who you are like one size doesn't fit all and mm -hmm. I think sometimes in the NBA that's that's the way it goes one size fits all you have to morph into this but everyone's different look at his body first of all Andre Drummond to be in shape at that size, to run yeah. I, I, I just mean literally to sprint up and down the court that is a hard thing to do yeah, he's huge. He's, he's, huge. A, he's a giant person. It, it's hilarious that like he's called the big penguin and he's he's the height of like four emperor people. He's a giant person. He's huge. He is, he is huge. And when I when I talked with uh, former Pistons teammates and coaches and they told me he would come first in sprints in practice, mm -hmm. I'm just like, how? how? <laughs> but also how, but also how did he get this rep of being lazy? When did this, mm -hmm. when, why did people get certain reputations? What, I mean, I get it. There were head scratchers of plays where he would just not give effort. And there are reasons he was called that, but overall, you know, he was a hustler. Like he did box out, he did try. So, you know, I just think like with this opportunity with the Lakers, it's, it's sad because it could have worked and maybe it still will. But so many things went wrong with injuries. I just don't think the Andre Drummond experiment had room to fly the way it could have.
How, how do you think he handled being the thoughtful person that he is? How do you think he handled the ire of the Lakers fan base? Because it got mean. You know, I'm I'm seen as I'm seen as somebody who is as low as Andre Drummond as possible. And even I will see some stuff that people say about him. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> like he's anybody. So for example, people think that I believe that Andre Drummond is the reason that the Lakers didn't win a championship this year. When like the fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis missed 30 games is staring right there. Like that's why, that's why the Lakers fell short of their expectations this year is because their bodies literally broke down from playing 19 straight months of basketball and being in shape for 19 straight months. So that's what's going on there. And yet still with Drummond, there's this belief that, oh, well, if, if, he doesn't come to the Lakers, then the Lakers have more flexibility to do this, 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 or this. And therefore the Lakers, Anthony Davis plays more five. We know Anthony Davis's body wasn't ready to play the five this year. It just flat out wasn't. And so the Lakers tried to provide somebody who could maybe help there. And like you're saying, he just winds up being this, the scapegoat that I'm not sure he was, he, he could have possibly been prepared to deal with once he arrives in LA. Yeah, I mean, if you think that Andre Drummond was going to come to LA and average 20 and 10, like you don't yeah. watch basketball or understand how <laughs> yeah. team systems work. He, you know, Andre has been miscast his entire career too. He is not the franchise player. Mm-hmm. He is he could be a fantastic role guy for a winning team, and that is what he was brought here to do. Um, it's no shocker that he plays better when you know, the Lakers players come back. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not hard to see that. Yeah. Of course, Andre's playing better when, you know, your stars are back in the lineup. This is not complicated math. Um, right. So of course, without those guys in there, he's going to struggle because again, he's not that cornerstone focal offense player. He's mm-hmm. not built for that. That's not what he's supposed to do. Do you um, think he recognizes that though? Like just, do, yes. do you think he, he does? Yes. And he doesn't, he, he actually, that's one of the things I really liked about doing the story is that he didn't want to be that focal person anymore. He wanted to sacrifice. Mm. He's totally okay with that. It's like the metrics for success that fans think about versus Andre are completely different. Um, Andre's coaches are happy when he just runs the floor hard. That's considered success. It's not Mm. sexy. It's not a stat, but it's, that's, that's what they ask him to do. And when he does that, that's a good thing versus fans are like, he's over four, you know, missed an easy layup. Like obviously mm-hmm. that is, that sucks, but you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. there are different measures of, of success. You know, he's, I think for him, he would be the first to tell you I screwed up. I think that was another thing that I enjoyed about the story is like he, he too is really hard on himself. He was not happy with his performances early on either when everyone mm-hmm. was bashing him. It's not like he was sitting there, like they're hating on me and I'm good. Yeah. He was like, no, I sucked. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And for him, it was frustrating because he really was out for so many months in Cleveland. So he didn't really have his rhythm. He didn't really have his wind. You're trying to adjust to a new system. Um, yeah, he was not pleased with his performance either. Yeah, that makes it, it makes sense. He does, he's he's too he comes across as too thoughtful to have not been aware of his struggles. Like that that's the part that I get annoyed with with people on Twitter. It's like there's no chance that this guy's sitting there saying, like, oh, y'all hating. He's like, no, it's it's 
It's that I was, he, he wasn't, and of course he wasn't playing up to expectations. He was, had a two month layoff because uh, Cleveland asked him not to play anymore. First time he's ever playing with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So that's going to take some chemistry. Those guys also aren't hundred percent because they're coming back from their own injuries as well. Like it was just, it was a situation that he was not going to be productive in. My question is like moving forward, do you think, do you think he signs up for a full year of this, a full year of potentially being a scapegoat or does he look at it as a challenge of, no, I want to prove that I actually could have been as productive as the Lakers thought I was going to be when they signed me in the first place. You know, I, I know this might sound corny, but I think instead of thinking either of those two things, he really mm -hmm. is thinking, I want to win a championship. Yep. And I know everyone says that. And I know it's like, oh, but do you really? But I really believe him when he was talking about that, you know, because mm -hmm. um, he's lost his entire career. Yeah. Like, awful teams. Awful, awful, awful. And he really wants to win. And if that means playing 10 minutes a game, like, I think he would do that. I think he hmm. would be happy with that because he's also getting up there in, in, you know, age, uh, in terms of basketball. And so yeah. it's like, you're not going to find, I personally don't see a better situation than this. We saw how no teams wanted him really. Um, mm -hmm. he, he almost didn't have an opportunity. So I'm sure he'll be, you know, staying open to the possibility, maybe going somewhere else. But I do think he likes these guys, which matters. Like one of the revealing quotes, I think, in the piece was him saying, like, genuinely shocked, like, wow, these guys, like, they hang out, they talk to each other, they it eat. It says a lot about Detroit. It says a lot about the Pistons. It says a lot about the Pistons. It says a lot about, like, yeah. how fortunate, you know, it's been with his career just yeah. not having that. So I wouldn't underestimate how important camaraderie is and, and, Again, look at the context. This is a person that has not fit in his entire life. When he was in high school, he tried to shrink. He was so tall. Yeah. He, people bullied him. This is a guy that from the jump, people said he doesn't belong in the NBA. This is a guy that's just been on the outside looking in, outside looking in. And then you kind of like your new teammates with the Lakers. You feel accepted. You feel like you're wanted. I do think that matters. I really do. He looked genuinely happy as a Laker when they were like, even if Marcus Saul was out there lighting up whatever team it was and he knew, and he like, if Mark is playing well, that doesn't speak very well to Andre Drummond because only one of those guys can play at the same time. And yet, despite that, I, I always gave him credit for if the Lakers were playing really well, he was one of the most audacious cheers on the sidelines. It was, it was fantastic to see. Um, all right, before we get out of here, I got to give you enough room to do this. This is what we do with all of our guests here on, on my show. Everybody knows my most embarrassing sports moment. Harrison loves to remind everybody about it, that layup that I missed. Uh, you actually played at Occidental College, right? So you, you, you played uh, basketball for, for enough time to have enough embarrassing sports moments to bring up here. What's your, what's your most embarrassing sports moment that you could think of? Well, okay. So I played for Lewis and Clark college before I ended up transferring okay. to Occidental and stopped playing, but, oh, okay. um, Harrison, okay. Harrison misinformed me on that one. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get it Harrison for that one. Get it Harrison. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> this is so embarrassing. <laughs> and <laughs> there's, I mean, I have a couple moments. Do you want like a basketball one or do you want a sports media one? Uh, 
we'll try. We'll start with the basketball one. Let's start <laughs> with the basketball one. So I consider, and and again, this is so weird because we're talking Giannis. This is completely by happenstance. But um, I was in seventh grade and we were at this tournament and I was playing for this AAU team and I was like really, really nervous. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it was new, you know, AAU, oh my gosh, middle school, seventh grade. And um, I was so nervous. This is not the moment, but there's a series of embarrassing things that happen. I check a in. Series of unfortunate the- events. <laughs> a series of so I'm like, so coach is like, fader, go in. And so I'm like, oh my God. And so I just rush onto the court, like forgetting that you have to like check in at the scores. Yeah. And everyone's like, sub. I'm in. I got oh you, coach. God, I'm like, what is wrong with you? And then I just like chastising myself, like kneeling, you know, like, God, you're so stupid. Like why? Oh, yeah. I can't. And so I'm turning like so red and I'm already like, fl- I'm flushed. Like I'm mm-hmm. just so stressed. And then I go in the game. And I just like cannot breathe. I am just like so nervous. And mind you, I practice a hundred free throws every night. Like I, mm-hmm. I consider myself to be a good free throw shooter. I'm very tiny, so I have to be good at shooting. I if I made Do you goal, take less second, less than 10 seconds per free throw is what I need to know. Far, far less dribble, dribble, <laughs> dribble, spin, you know, bend down, shoot. Uh-huh. Like very quick. Mm-hmm. And every night, like if I had to get 90, so if I got 89, I'd have to start over like oh, man. Know, 100. Like I was very serious. So mm-hmm. why did I airball a free throw in this oh. game? I was, so my hand was shaking. <laughs> Just like, oh my God. And then there was like, I remember this guy like that I thought it was cute and he was like laughing at oh, me no. on the sideline. I was like, oh my God, like I hate everything. And then I like made the second free throw, but it was just, it was the most embarrassing. I was like, I can't. Did what you, did the guy, did the cute guy see you enter the game like incorrectly? Did he, was he there for that too? I can't, I am sure. I can't even. <laughs> Like now thinking back, I'm like, wow, he probably thought I was the worst basketball player ever. Um, <laughs> LOL. That was fun. Seventh grade was a rough year. Um, <laughs> That's fantastic. That's really good. Uh, so in seventh grade at that, at that age, you're already shooting a hundred free throws a night. Like that's yeah. wild. That's well, I, yeah, I didn't even. I really wanted to be in WNBA. I was mm-hmm. like so serious, like from age 10 to like 21, I was just like basketball, basketball. Like I never even thought about writing. So yeah, yeah I was just so serious. It's you just get so annoyed hard. at like NBA players not being good at free throws? <laughs> I do because it's like, <laughs> I know, I, you know, the first free throw I ever shot in fifth grade, like, of course I missed it. But if uh-huh. you do this every day for the next 10 years, you're going to get good at it. It's like right. anything. You know, and so that's why I'm like, when I see people miss free throws, I'm just like, <sighs> right, they're free. It says they're it right free. there in the name. It says it right there. All right, I guess we have a little bit of time for the sports media one too. <laughs> so was, this is so embarrassing. When I was, you know, it's funny. You know, this is a good reminder that at the time it feels like the world is ending, but you know, you can laugh about it later on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I was profiling Mo Spates back when he was on the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Mo Buckets. Uh, yeah, Mo Buckets. And it was for SB Nation. I think I was like first year out of college. So I was definitely like a rookie, a scrub mm-hmm. in every sense of the word. And I remember going into the Warriors locker room when they came to LA. It was either like the Clippers or the Lakers. And 
I'm like the only woman there. And there's like so many famous writers that I'm just like dying. There's mm-hmm. Jonathan Abrams in there. There's J.A. Adonde. Like there's just yeah. like all these people that are like so famous and like I'm freaking out I'm fangirling but I'm also feeling like super weird as this like tiny five foot girl Mm -hmm. who's like new and everyone knew each other and everyone was talking to each other and I was like why are they just like hanging out like we got to do you know so Mm -hmm. I I needed to go up to a player a teammate of Mo's to ask questions you know get the secondary interview so I was like are we not allowed to go up to them like like why is everybody just you know how it's like Mm -hmm. a frat bro party everyone's just yeah. And I'm like, I want to get out of here. This is disgusting. Like, yeah, I, I remember my so first weird. scrum. I was like, D- when do we start? Like, can we start? What are we doing here? Are we, Literally. We- yeah. So I'm just standing there. Like, what do I do with my hands? Do I clasp? Do I, you know what I just do? I, I'm just so <laughs> nervous. And so I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to go up to this player and I'm not mm-hmm. going to tell you who, cause it's so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go up to the player and I'm going to say, hi, my name's Mirren. Um, can I ask you a couple of questions? And then if, and then we'll see what happens. And if they kick me out, they kick me out. So everyone's like watching me go up to this player <laughs> and I'm already feeling stressed. That cute and guy from seventh grade found his way into that room somehow. <laughs> my God, I'm like forever scarred. And yeah. um, so I go up to the player and I sincerely ask him like, Hey, um, can I, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? And he looks at me and smiles and he says, no. Oh no. Oh, no. And I'm like, you know, I just like pause. Cause I'm like, did this, is this real? Like, is this thing on? Like, I'm just so confused because this is like what you picture in your nightmares, you know, yeah. like, and it's like the nightmare coming true. Usually the nightmare never comes true. And right. it's like, you're being too negative. Yeah, and I'm it was, like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, like he really turned me down. And then I turn around and everybody's like laughing. Okay, I might oh. be frustrated, <laughs> but I feel like people were laughing at me and it was so embarrassing. And it, like, Donde's just like on the floor. Oh my God. Like I might be exaggerating, but I yeah. definitely felt like the sting of everyone having observed this moment, you mm-hmm. know? And I was just like so embarrassed. I thought I was going to die, but then I was like, you know what? We're going to go up to the holiday brother. We're going to ask him a question. Maybe mm-hmm. he'll feel sorry for me that I just got humiliated. And of course, like he was so nice and he was like, yeah, yeah I'll answer your question. But then I like rushed out. I had a good cry in my car and, oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't stay for the game because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's really, really Anyways, Life got better after that point. <laughs> well, now, now you wrote the book on Giannis and NBA teams are calling you like, how do we guard this guy? What do we do? You spent so much time around him. So look, look how far you've come. This is fantastic. This was a whole bunch of fun, Mira. And I, I really appreciate you hopping on and being game with both of those stories. Again, her book is Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. You can pre-order it now and it, uh, and it releases in August uh, I can't wait to get mine and and I can't wait to read it if we ever have time to be able to read again. But here we are. Thank you. Thank you very much, Marin. And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. That was so fun. Anytime. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Anthony Irwin show. We'll be back next week with another fun guest. Check out the rest of the shows across this feed, including Lakers lowdown as we continue to try to keep you updated on the Dame Lillard situation, which was, is never going on.